it's over 9,000! Super Elite Warriors to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time, and I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is the Bikini. And we're still on this unnamed planet for some reason. For some (sighs) reason? You took hours to dig me up, and I only just within the last few seconds regained feeling in all my extremities. Yeah. So, let's go already! Can I, like, take a minute to do some light stretching and maybe get some mobility back? Do you have to? I ask for so very little. And I did save your life back there when we fought all those other me's. Are you ever gonna let that go? I saved your life, and in return I'm asking for a few minutes to stretch my muscles. I'd say that's pretty much not close to a fair trade. You're right. After this, you owe me one. What? Fine. I owe you one, I guess. I know I'm going to regret that eventually, but when have I not regretted pretty much everything since the minute we left? That's more like it. So, how long can I take? I mean, how long do you think you'll need? About long enough to do one of those podcast discussions we usually do. And you're stealing the transitions between show segments now? You don't just owe me. You owe me Big. Uh. Well, while Bikini sets to work on touching his, uh... Hey, do you have toes? We've been together for over two years, and you don't know if I have toes? What am I, your doctor? It's just, I'm pretty sure if you disappeared, I could give a sketch artist a complete enough description that you wouldn't even need an actual picture, and you don't know whether or not I have toes? Fine, don't tell me. Let's get into this week's topic. And this week, we are going to be talking about Yajirobe, and we're going to be doing so with episodes, I believe, 105 through 107. That is correct. Of the Dragon Ball anime. Yes, so we're going to start off this week with episode 105, titled Here Comes Yajirobe. So, quick recap, Goku's trying to catch up to Tambourine, who's murking the world's top fighters. Meanwhile, Symbol's collecting the Dragon Balls, and the comic crew are trying to mount a resistance. At the end of last episode, Goku ate someone else's lunch to help him recoup some of his energy. However, the original owner of said lunch is none too happy about this turn of events. So who's the new kid? Why, it's Yajirobe, of course. 
Coco has a, a loose understanding of the concept of ownership. Maybe it's from hanging out with a communist pig. Uh, and doesn't seem to think he's done anything wrong here. His incorrect assessment is reinforced when he sees Yajirobe has a Dragon Ball as well. Clearly, he must work for Piccolo. Yajirobe is, justifiably, confused at what his day has devolved into. There's some more name-calling, and it turns into an actual exchange of blows between these two. Yajirobe has a serious weight advantage, but we soon learn that he can go toe-to-toe with Goku, which is no small feat. As the two boys start to square off a bit more seriously, we cut to Tambourine reviewing his roster of victims in search of a new target and gloating about how weak they all are. Kame crew touch down on a remote island where they part ways. Roshi, Tien, and Chaozu will search for the Dragon Balls, while the others will stay on the ro- this r- new remote island location in hopes of evading Piccolo's henchmen. Uh, in his airship, Piccolo broods while Pilaf tries to bond with him over like, furry porn, I guess? I'm not really sure. <laughs> We also learn Piccolo sleeps with his eyes open. That's weird. Back at the new Kame House location, Krillin's Snow White coffin is ready. I guess the coffin can be shrunk into a capsule with the body inside of it. This raises a lot of questions. But at the top of that list is why put the capsule in your underwear drawer, Bulma? Back at the fight, conversation isn't making any headway, but Goku manages to notice that Yajirobe's Dragon Ball isn't the one that he's looking for. While Goku tries to explain, Symbol shows up, and I think we all know what he thinks about the Dragon Ball. Demands and threats are made, identities are confirmed, and Jonkin is played for the honor of kicking Symbol's ass. Yajirobe wins Jonkin, and then the fight with Symbol with a single slash of his katana. This upsets Piccolo, who, it seems, can feel his henchmen die. And that brings us to episode 106, titled Terrible Tambourine. Now that Symbol's been properly butchered and barbecued, it's time for second lunch. We get some reactions on the outcome of the fight from Piccolo and his flunkies, and we get whisked away to this new town full of animal people. We have a father and son out fishing. It's a very lovely little scene. Uh, and they're about to land a lunker when Giren shows up and steals lunch. There seems to be a lot of that going around. Giren's about to throw more of his weight around uh, when Tambourine steps in to continue his martial arts massacre. The fight is kind of fun, but ultimately Tambourine makes sport of Giren just like any of the other fighters. When he's approached by the villagers... He leaves them with no misunderstanding about what his motives truly are. He actually doesn't care about them. He just wanted to kill Giren. Meanwhile, Team Turtle Crane, that's what I'm calling Roshi, Tien, and Chaozu now, uh, locates a Dragon Ball in the South Pole. Tambourine plots a course for Yamcha, and Goku and Yajirobe discuss the legend of the Dragon Balls. Tambourine somehow manages to find Kame House despite them moving because he gets lost, which is, a, I guess, that's a fun little way to resolve that. But it doesn't really make much sense. <laughs> uh, but Yamcha's out front exercising. Tambourine, who, like I said, is lost, stops to ask for directions, and Bulma completely blows their cover. Which seems unlikely given how smart Bulma's supposed to be, but I guess we'll just overlook that. The fight kicks off quickly, but ends just as fast when there's a collect call from Piccolo. Tambourine gets reassigned to check out what happened to Symbol. At the South Pole, Tien uses his insult to geometry technique to blast apart the iceberg and secure the first Dragon Ball for the good guys. Goku and Yajirobe continue to discuss the Dragon Ball uh, with no idea that Tambourine is headed their way. Will they survive? I guess we'll find out. That brings us to episode 107, titled Tien's Atonement. We open this episode on some crazy tank-slash-ship thing where what appears to be some kind of pirate captain has a gun trained on Team Turtle Crane. They're asking nicely for the Dragon Ball. Sadly, negotiations break down and some firmer diplomacy is required. The land pirates soon see sense and hand over the Dragon Ball. Meanwhile, Yajirobe's traveling through the countryside, basically trying to give Goku the slip 
This annoys Yajirobe, but Goku assures him he's only here to take, a go- take out the guys who show up to steal the Dragon Ball from him in hopes that he will find Krillin's killer. Yajirobe continues to try to ditch our hero, and we get a goofy little chase scene. Piccolo continues to seethe over Symbol's death and uh, uses Pilaf's dragon radar globe thing to kind of track their movements. And he keeps changing directions and locations for Tambourine, and we get this weird sort of like multi-level goose chase while uh, Goku is like ch- ch- chasing Yajirobe. Yajirobe's trying to give Goku the slip, and then like their erratic movement based on their little game of cat and mouse is causing Tamari to also run in random directions. In Spaghetti Western Land, Tian, Roshi, and Chaozu are closing in on Dragon Ball number three. Their hunt brings them to the house of a couple. I I don't know if they're married. I think that's implied, but they definitely have a kid. And it would seem that Tien knows the man who lives there. Back in the the goose chase, Goku's trying frantically to catch up with Yajirobe, who manages to lose Goku down a waterfall. Yajirobe decides to reward himself with a leisurely ride on a hay cart and, you know, taking a nap. Tien, meanwhile, is having a flashback with this about his dishonorable history with this mystery man. Turns out they've met in like a tournament of some sort, and he purposely injured this man in order to get him to drop out. Tien tries to apologize and ask the man for his Dragon Ball, but he doesn't seem to get very far. While he's distracted, this gentleman's wife is calling the local authorities. Uh, Said authorities roll up on Master Roshi and Chaozu, who are waiting outside. They all seem to think that Tien is the martial arts murderer. Roshi intervenes, and the chief recognizes him, which is one of the rare moments where we realize that Roshi is actually a respected person in this world and not just the butt (laughs) of jokes. He vouches for Tien, who begs for the Dragon Ball on his hands and knees. Such extreme behavior changes the man's mind, and he submits the request, giving our boys the Dragon Ball. Elsewhere, Yajirobe is napping when the hay cart explodes. Uh, it looks like Tambourine has arrived. Fortunately, so has Goku. Will he be able to take down Tambourine this time? I guess we'll find out next episode. Yeah, Th- like you mentioned, some things in these episodes that make that bring up questions that that we haven't <laughs> had before, or that that we've glossed over, or <laughs> come up with different answers to, like the 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 uh, the, the capsule question. Right, yeah. what happens when a human is inside one of these capsules? And we were like, we were like, oh, it probably like would crush you into oblivion. <laughs> Apparently not. Also, I think it's funny that she builds this coffin, this like cryogenic coffin for Krillin, and um, it's got like this really nice like glass front on it where you can see Krillin, and then they just immediately turn it into a capsule so that you can't see him anymore. <laughs> just a nice, nice design there, Bulma. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and she, then, she had a lot. She had a lot of great ideas these 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 episodes. And then the other the other kind of big question that that kind of pops up here, like sort of inconsistency, I guess, is one that I think is more exacerbated by filler. The last time we saw Girin was in a filler episode. He seemed. To no longer be a bully. Yeah. It's Goku and Nam come across... Is it his people building a dam or his people affected by the building of a dam? And either... Whichever way it is, they, like, unbuild the dam. But, like, he's not, like, a bully anymore. Yeah. But then he comes back here and he's, like, about to steal these dudes' lunch. (laughs) 
which I guess on the scale of evil is really not that evil, but I mean, it's just so personal. Yeah. Again, it's just, that's, that's more of a filler. You know, the last time we saw Giren was, was a filler. Inconsistencies do happen. Yeah. Cause the last time Toriyama has used Giren, he was the jerk. (laughs) I think that was the, the, the tournament, right? Yeah. Yeah, we haven't seen Garen since the first tournament. Right. Yes. We didn't even see him in the second one. He did not show up or he did not make it through the preliminaries. We don't know. And we but never will. <laughs> decent episodes. I like the TN's atonement one. I like the the idea of kind of TN having to deal with what his past was. Yeah, as opposed to just not acknowledging it at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. That's a that's a cool character beat for him. Yeah, I think all all three of these episodes were fairly fun. There was a lot happening, and we've got like multiple storylines sort of progressing at the same time. So there's a lot of jumping back and forth. So like it, none of these episodes drag. They're all like blistering. Like you'll get through them so fast. Yeah, and that that entire subplot is filler, the TN's atonement, which uh, it's not in the manga at all. Apparently not. Oh, all right. Well, good good on the animators then for that was a bit of trivia that, that I yeah. that I just found. I guess we'll we'll confirm when we read the manga as we do at the end of our our whenever we get to the end of arcs, we go through the manga. We'll confirm then. So. Today's episode, though, is all about Yajirobe, a character that we've discussed a little bit briefly as he's appeared in both of our March Madness tournaments to this point. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of given a little bit of our thoughts on him, and we'll do more of that towards the end of this. But let's talk about kind of who Yajirobe is. He is a, a character in Dragon Ball. There you go. <laughs> end of episode. <laughs> Uh, Yajirobe is modeled after Inokichi from Kurosawa's Yojimbo as played by Daisuke Kato. Kato was a prolific actor who often played samurai in other Kurosawa films, such as Rashomon and Seven Samurai, and in those roles often played more dim-witted characters. I've actually never seen Yojimbo, but Rashomon and Seven Samurai are awesome. I've seen Seven Samurai. I will concur that it is, in fact, awesome. Kurosawa has a, a knack for telling stories that more or less get riffed on, such that even if you haven't seen them, you have. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Seven Samurai, we talked about in the past, is one of those. Rashomon, mm-hmm. similar, in that even though I would bet a lot of people haven't seen Rashomon, I would bet a lot of people have seen either an episode of a TV show or a movie that is about a single event that gets told from multiple different points of view Ah. that has wildly different takes on the goings on of that single event. It's one of my favorite formats. You know, one, one that I could think of that, a movie that came out like that was fairly recent was the last duel. Ah, okay. That 
was about Jodie Comer or Comer. I don't know. She's married to Matt Damon and Adam Driver rapes her. And you get Adam Driver's version of the events. You get Matt Damon's version of the events and you get her version of the events and how everything plays out is really good. Really, really good. Okay. Came out in 2021 and kind of, I think, flopped, which is unfortunate because it is ex- it is very good. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it had a budget of a hundred million and made thirty million. So, personally, I think it has to do with the setting. I think the setting was off-putting for people, are or people, maybe gave them the wrong impression of the movie. Are people over that now? Are people over medieval stuff unless it's Game of Thrones? I don't know about overness, I, I'm, but I'm wondering if it gave people like the wrong impression of the movie. Hmm. It's possible. Back to Yajirobe. <laughs> we love our tangents. Uh, Yajirobe only wears a kimono. Now, traditionally, a samurai, which you would think Yajirobe is because he carries a samurai sword and he's proficient at it. He kills symbol with but a single slash. A uh, samurai would wear their kimono and several layers of clothing underneath, which would signify their status and wealth. Uh, apparently, in feudal Japan, if you had money and could afford clothes, you wore all of them at once to show off, like that episode of Friends where Joey puts on all of his clothes. You gotta, you gotta get your money's worth out of them. <laughs> Uh, but Yajirobe just has this one single layer of clothing. So we're being told, or at least like a Japanese audience member is being told at a glance, that Yajirobe is poor. Like Goku, he's raised in the country. He has a hickish countryside accent in the native Japanese, and his speech is unrefined. So if you see like better subtitled versions of, of these, or at least I'll say maybe more accurate uh, subtitle versions of of like Yajirobe and Goku there'll be a lot of like contracted uh, statements in there and a lot of you know like unrefined kind of words and things like that because that's the dialect that they're speaking in in Japanese he even uses words in a dialect that Goku can't even understand which is where that joke about him saying breakfast comes from he says like you stole my breakfast and goku's like what the heck is breakfast it's supposed to be breakfast it's it's because he has such a differing it'd be like having a an appellation with a really thick appellation accent and drawl meet up with like a cajun see now i'm just picturing these characters as rednecks (laughs) (laughs) or even let's 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 say let's call one of them a bostonian you know, because they have a... <laughs> oh, that's even worse. <laughs> awesome. But you know what I mean. I mean... Yeah, I get you. Am, am I wrong in thinking those are probably three of the more difficult accents for the average? Oh, yeah, how about... How about it'd be like... You know what? It might, might, might be even a better example is it might be like having like a Cajun who's got that like... Kind of faster paced, but like slurred and sort of uh, French and Cajun, you know, speech to him and a Cockney accent. Oh, okay. Right. So for an English speaker, immediately obvious where they're from. For anybody listening to English, might be a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, that makes sense. It might be hard for those two to have a conversation with each other. Even though you're technically speaking the same language, there's a ton of Cockney and vice versa Cajun slang that each other don't understand at all. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll be honest with you, though. That whole break just joke kind of went over my head because I thought it was just a spelling mistake. <laughs> So, when Yajirobe fights against Symbol and Goku stands by, we're witnessing a first in the franchise. It's the first time that a character stands idly by while another character is fighting, despite there being no current tournament with rules that would prevent him from doing so. In the past, if a character saw another in trouble, they'd either rush in to help or be prohibited from doing so by the bylaws of either the Tenkaichi Budokai or the rules of Baba's tournament. Here, Goku stands by as Yajirobe engages in battle. This winds up becoming commonplace in Dragon Ball, with Goku, Vegeta, and others refusing to help as battle intensifies, and it goes back to samurai ethics, where the only way to truly test both combatants in battle was to do so honorably. Outside aid would be viewed as dishonoring both combatants by not respecting the rules of engagement. A true test must be carried out man-to-man. As Dragon Ball progresses, this often becomes seen as a Saiyan pride type of thing, where it's almost only Goku or Vegeta who refuses to use team tactics. And it's attributed to their stubborn genetics, but it's really born of the culture of Japan and founded in its feudal history. Yeah, it's definitely in, especially in recent years, it's become like all oh, those stubborn Saiyans. But yeah, it, it would have been it, it. It comes from samurai ethics, which are. I mean, there's there's some version of that that pervades all cultures. I think of like. I have to do this on my own. I have to see this through on my own. Uh, duels, sure. You know, uh, basically a concept of of ethics or 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 like honor of some yeah. sort. You, you, the American version would be like a like a like a pistol duel. You see two guys in like a pistol stare down. You don't pull out your gun and just shoot the one that you want to lose. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be honest, it'd be pretty effective. <laughs> oh, there was like sword duels in like medieval Europe, and I, I think jousting kind of has some similar sort of roots. Yeah. Yeah, I would say same type of thing. So, uh, Yajirobe is shown to be an extremely skilled swordsman, well-versed in Iajutsu, or quick-draw technique, wherein the swords, the swords fighter is trained to draw strike, and kill with a single rapid fluid movement. This is the ultimate refinement of simplicity in the ultimate battle of life and death. It seems simple, but that simplicity is deceptive. It would take years of training for someone to be able to draw their sword, use it, accurately strike their opponent, and resheath it as Yajirobe does in like a single like, slice him in half before he even knows he's sliced in half type of thing. You know, that typical anime thing. <laughs> right. But it's also there's there if I'm, I'm sure you could go on YouTube right now and find people who can do similar things like have their sword sheathed, have a usually it's it's like a piece of fruit <laughs> thrown <laughs> at them of some sort thrown at them and they are able to now. Yes, you can see it because I don't know that anyone can really move that fast that you can't see it. But like you could see them in one fluid motion draw their sword and slice and bring it back down and it happens it, like that is a difficult thing to do <laughs> yeah absolutely 
Now, as, as for Yajirobe's name, he's named after a balancing toy of the same name in Japan. You've actually probably seen this toy before, most likely, and it would come in America in the form of Circus Sam. If you don't know who Circus Sam is, and for some reason you're incapable of using a search engine, it's the clown that stands on a pedestal with the two balls attached via a rigid wire where you can balance it in like all sorts of positions and he'll wobble around and the balls will wobble up and down and he might move in like a circle, but he maintains his balance. A Yajirobe is a toy, and it's it's spelled, I think, with two E's instead of the name Yajirobe in Dragon Ball, which is with one E. Is a toy that in the middle is shaped like a human and has long stems sticking out on either side with a weighted ball on the end of each, just like Circus Sam. And the goal is to try to balance this toy on your finger. And if you I really shall... haven't seen this toy before, I guess I'm probably just dating myself. I mean, this toy, I would say predates me even a little bit like like this was a toy that i'm pretty sure like my grandparents had at their house that i would play with when i went to my grandparents house it wasn't a toy that really i i mean i played with it but you you know what i mean like it wasn't a toy that i had right it was like leftover from from like a different time yes like your grandparents just kind of like found a box in the attic oh look we got old toys let let the kids the grandkids play with them Yes. I I also encountered this around my grandparents, but the version that I saw, he was on a unicycle and you could put up a piece of string and like fasten the ends between, say, like two chairs or something like that. And then you could put him on the string and he would roll back and forth while maintaining his balance with the the wire and the, the two weights. Huh. I'm trying to so look there's that there's up a now. couple different there's a couple different variations on it and some of them go back quite a while too I think I want to say I want to say like 1800s probably yeah I mean it, it's a pretty it's like a ball in a cup kind of toy you know it's pretty yeah it's a classic for a reason it's it's pretty I hate to use the word but it, like primitive you know I mean it's yeah it's 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 like corn cob dolls or balls in a cup it's it's a fairly easy i don't want to say easy this is probably not the easiest toy to make to make it actually be balanceable right because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day you actually you know if you're really trying to make this and make it well the the two poles kind of coming out from the arms have to be the same length and the and the counterbalance on the end of them has to be the same weight uh and all that but but Aside from the precision required in that, it's a like rel- there's no like crazy moving parts or mechanisms behind it. Uh, and in their defense, when we say simple, that's not necessarily an insult because most kids, you give them a cardboard box and and they'll find some way to entertain themselves with it. So, yeah, sometimes simpler is not a bad thing. Exactly. Back to Yajirobe. Given samurai naming conventions and the practice of zokumyo. Where a samurai in training who comes of age must take on a new name, it is unlikely that Yajirobe is his given name, and because of that, we can break his name down. It's something he adopted or was given, therefore it probably has some kind of meaning to him. Ya is normally a male given name, but samurai convention dictates that this is his family's surname as the beginning of the samurai name would be their original family surname. Ji means next generation. Ro means son. 
and B or Bay means soldier or samurai. This is a very common ending for a samurai name, and it's likely something Toriyama picked up from all the movies that he's seen and basically started off with the idea of working on a pun that could use the bay sound and working backwards from there. Landed on the toy that he either remembered playing with or had lying around as at this point in his life, he had a young son. So could have just been lying around the house. Uh, so he's Ya, the next generation, son or samurai, or a little less awkwardly, the second son of the Ya family to be called samurai. This is an old-fashioned naming convention, and Toriyama employs it because he loves his contrasts. A Yajirobe toy is a contemporary children's toy, but he has an old-fashioned warrior's name. Though he's traditionally named samurai, we know nothing of Yajirobe's past, his family, his training, or his master. He's, but all we really know is he's poor and he's wandering in the wilderness, so we basically just can assume that he's a ronin. And what is a ronin? Well, a ronin is a masterless samurai. The word literally, ronin, translates to wave man. Because a ronin leaves his previous life and wanders the world like a wave of water. And I'm sure this is again probably another one of those things, right? We, I, I don't, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, uh, but I feel confident. You know, we talked about like kamehameha. The the ha means wave, and dodanpa mm -hmm. the pa means wave, and. Uh, Ronin, I'm sure there's some sort of linguistics rule <laughs> that says when the wave comes first, because Nin is man. Um, mm -hmm. when the when the row when the wave comes first, it's a row instead of a ha or a pa or a da or like you know. I mean, that's possible. I don't know Japanese linguistics rules. I'm just guessing, but since Ronin translates to Wave Man, that's my guess. Uh, that's that's probably a pretty good guess. Samurai become Ronin when their masters die. If said master died in battle, it's customary for the Ronin to commit seppuku. But some men forego this tradition and become vagabonds. Because of this cowardice and lack of fulfillment to their duty, Ronin can be seen sometimes as dishonorable especially like a young ronin because the the assumption would be that his master probably died in battle versus an, an elderly and older ronin might be that he just his master just died <clears throat> because ronin lack honor they have no steady source of income because you're not supposed to employ people without honor and many become bandits now yamcha was a desert bandit is he a ronin Pro probably not, <laughs> but it's it's a fun question to ask. He is Yamcha the Desert Bandit when we first meet him. That is true. Maybe he's secretly a samurai. Maybe somehow I doubt it though. <laughs> now Japan has no shortage of tales of Ronin, in no small part because as the emperor consolidated power during the Edo period. He would conquer and eliminate various daimyo or lords, and a great many samurai found themselves facing the decision of death or life as a ronin. Kurosawa's Seven Samurai is actually about seven ronin, because 
they're all masterless samurai. Mm -hmm. So there's no shortage in modern Japan of actually having some prestige surrounding these vagabonds and sort of reframing their lack of honor. You know, at some point in much, much more contemporary Japanese society, popularized probably in no small part by Kurosawa, it's now seen that, hey, just because you won't kill yourself because your master died doesn't make you a bad person. That's reasonable of them. Uh, Yajirobe even, well, you might say it's reasonable of them, but this <laughs> this is a society that, that glorifies kamikaze pilots, you know, so. Yeah, so they got some more work to do with <laughs> Yajirobe even acts similar to a ronin that's seen in the Kurosawa film Sanjuro, which I've never seen, actually. Uh, I just, I just, that's a note that I have. Toriyama notes that in addition to being influenced by movies due to watching uh, apparently all of the movies, you know, just all of them, ever. He, in particular, was inspired by a trip he took to Toei's Kyoto Studio Park, which is a theme park somewhat similar to some something, just to use an example that a lot of people would know, Universal Studios, where you can tour actual old film sets, dress as characters, watch stage shows, walk around a great deal of art displays of toy of toy productions. Like there's like statues of all the dragon ball characters and all the power Rangers or super sentai characters. And you know, that means that there's like 50,000 super sentai costume statues around this park. Uh, We've mentioned this park before during our sleeping princess in devil's castle commentary. When we talked about Chiaki Imada, who was that film's producer, I think it was like, he, I can't remember the exact context. Go listen to that episode. That was our Sleeping Princess and Devil's Comment and Devil's Castle commentary. To use an example that Bikini, you might know mm-hmm. if if we're if we're uh, peeling out of shtick here a little bit. Did you ever go to Fantasy Island in Grand Island, New York? I did not. Okay. <laughs> that is that is what I think. Toei Studio, Toei's Kyoto Studio Park is more like. This was a small, small theme park in Grand Island, New York that had like two roller coasters, one of which was called like the Speedy Mouse or something and, you know, had probably a 32-foot drop, (laughs) had a bunch of like the spinning rides, you know... I think the one was called like the toboggans or the blizzard or something like that. They had the upside down Ferris wheel. And then it had like a wild west portion of the park where there were like saloons and you could dress up and take those old timey photos. And every, I don't know, hour and a half or maybe two hours, they would have like a wild west show where, you know, the dudes were shooting at each other and falling out of the wind. It was like a stunt show. Sure. Like like one of those stunt spectaculars. So not as big as Universal Studios. I just think that's kind of an example. Like it's more in that vein and less in the vein of a Six Flags or a Disney. 
Right. So it's like the the like the stage shows and stuff that they have at Universal. Right. Right. So that's what Toys Kyoto Studio Park. I, I recently found out that Fantasy Island has actually been renamed. I forget what it was renamed to. It like went out of business. It is now called Niagara Amusement Park and Splash World. Oh, okay. It was like this small place that a single parent could take you, and I don't even know if it was like 20 bucks to get in. <laughs> Cheap entertainment in the summer. Yep. It's a godsend. So, now Yajirobe's very unkempt appearance may be inspired as well by some of the myths and legends surrounding one of Japan's most famous real-life ronin, Musashi Miyamoto, who it was said would not bathe for weeks in order to distract his opponents. So, Bacterian? That you? Hey. Uh, these myths seem pretty heavily falsified, though, as Miyamoto had a lot of renown and was known to visit with dignitaries and noblemen. Still, being well-known myths and legends, they could easily have percolated through Japanese pop culture to being something Toriyama just kind of assumes Ronin equals disheveled, which even kind of plays in Seven Samurai. A lot of the, the samurai in Seven Samurai, when you when they are out of the public eye, and especially out of the eye of the farmers that they are hired to protect, you realize that they are not as awesome as they portray themselves. Again, getting back to, I think, the most popular or maybe most well-known Seven Samurai ripoff of Bugs Life. <laughs> <laughs> I always laugh when people realize that that is a, that it's a salmon, Seven Samurai ripoff. The Circus Bugs are circus bugs, not warriors, as they portray themselves, right? So this is a yeah. this is like a thing that is known about Ronin, is that Ronin equals disheveled and unkempt and wild and vagabond. As for Yajirobe himself, I I like this character enough. Like I he serves his purpose. I actually I think I kind of do like him do I like him maybe a little more now as he's just this sort of hanger on who, you know, sits up in Corrin's tower and eats all of Corrin's food and. Which really, when you think about it, is is kind of a flex on regular people because no regular person can make that climb. <laughs> and he just lives up there. <laughs> and he's like, Yajirobe is kind of like a cockroach. Like he's. It's <laughs> <laughs> really hard to kill. Like. Because he comes back in Dragon Ball Super and you find out that in the far-flung future of Future Trunks' world, which has been ravaged by, at this point, the androids, as well as Cell, as mm -hmm. well as now uh, Goku Black or mm -hmm. Zamasu, <laughs> he's still around. <laughs> And he's, that man knows how to survive. And he's still just as much of like a survivor, like a like a Weasley. Just he's just still around. <laughs> and I, I kind of like that that just survivor aspect to him. It's a unique character dynamic to have in Dragon Ball. Someone who maybe could be a strong warrior potentially, but has. Just no real desire to. 
Well, I mean, like even when we're talking about Dragon Ball power scales, like he's he's fighting on decent footing with Goku, who's at this point one of the strongest people on the entire planet. So, I mean, that's impressive in itself. Like he ends up living on Corrin's Tower. Like I said, like that's that's just kind of a flex on every regular person on the planet. Plus, when you think about it, like the way that man eats, like he's got to be making grocery runs, which means like he's. He, he's got to have some method for getting down and up relatively quickly. He's going up and down that tower often. Yeah. Like, so he's either got like a capsule plane or something that he's using to do it, or he's just climbing it or something. I don't know. Well, in these episodes, he does like run around pretty quickly. Yeah. The I don't know about the world, but he runs like long distances very fast. Yeah, because, like, in my notes, I had to change it from, like, desert to countryside because, like, you see a bunch of different locations while they're running around trying to give uh, – while he's while he's running around trying to give Goku the slip. Right. I y- Yajirobe has, in his mind, hit his peak and has no interest in going any further. Yeah, I think his – I think his – um. What is it? The Shogyu? Is that is that how we Shugyo? pronounce it? Shugyo. Yeah, the Shug- I think his Shugyo is just eating at this point. <laughs> but yeah, he's just he's content. He has he he has reached what he thinks of as his apex, and that's good enough for him. <laughs> he just wants to sit with the hermit meowster and and do nothing. Uh, that was that was a decent pun. I'll give you that one. And as far as like other Yajirobe parallels in 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 fiction, I I don't know. I don't know that I can really think of too many. You know, he's not like the most major character with a complete arc or anything to kind of compare him to. Uh, we've talked about he's like similar to like just a generic kind of Ronin, but again, with that, I think it's he's a little bit different than some of the the quintessential or the, the 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 typical ronin because those that you would see in movies and characters that you would really remember from from anything else are all mm-hmm. characters that would have journeys and arcs and who would be driven to I'm a ronin and I'm disheveled and I have nothing and I'm a vagabond and I am going to reclaim my honor or reclaim my station or re- some sort like a sure. character that, that you'd be able to draw any sort of parallels to is always going to be a character that is going to have some sort of a redemptive arc most likely and Yajirobe just never gets that. <laughs> And I don't know uh, that he needs he could, it. I just well, yeah, I don't know if he needs it necessarily because he he. I think he kind of fills more like a comic relief role. But I I think you could kind of make an argument for a redemptive arc because he ends up being instrumental in the Z Warriors defeating Vegeta when he first comes to Earth by cutting mm-hmm. off his tail in his transformed state. Which is, if he hadn't done that, he would have he would have probably won. So I guess maybe there's a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, I like that's I that's like one of my I whenever he shows up it's always in that like he's just this like like I said like he's like a cockroach like <laughs> yeah, like he only sticks his neck out when he knows he absolutely has to. <laughs> yes. Um I can't I can't really think of any like direct parallels. I mean there's kind of like the trope of of the 
the cowardly character, I guess you could say. We don't really get that in these episodes. That that comes in the next few episodes coming up where he t- where he's like actively hiding from Piccolo and like there's a point I think in the tambourine fight where he realizes that like oh these guys completely outclass me. I need to run for my own safety. <laughs> yeah. Which is probably honestly probably the the smartest conclusion any of the Z fighters ever make when it comes to a fight. <laughs> <laughs> There's something big and scary around the corner. Goku, you go beat him up and I'll eat him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I guess like you could probably go all the way back to, say, like uh, Wizard of Oz's the, the, the Cowardly Lion. There's some shades of, of the Cowardly Lion and J- Yajirobe, definitely. Yeah. Between like how he looks and also like how he acts. Like, he acts like a big macho tough guy until an actual tough guy shows up. And then it's, oop, I got to go. Bye. <laughs> And, you know, similarly, in a, in a somewhat similar vein, when when it is absolutely necessary to stick his neck out, he does. Yeah. Uh, someone, I saw someone, now I've, I've never played Dragon Quest, I've never played these games. I've played a couple. Uh, someone says he is similar to the character Yangus, Yangus? In Dragon Quest yeah. Eight, and it's actually that makes it really interesting that you brought up the Cockney accent when talking about Goku and Yajirobe's accent because the character of Yangus has that same sort of like affectation, and he they in the English version they give him a Cockney accent. Hmm. So like he'll call the like he'll call the player character like Governor and stuff like that. Okay. So there you go. He's just a he's just a survivalist. Definitely. I'll agree with that 100%. He's always eating. Well, and that's and he's always got a little bit of extra body fat because he knows, like, hey, if, if I hit hard times and I got to run, I got to make sure I can survive for a while. <laughs> so all of everything he does is about survival. You may not like it, but that's what peak performance looks like. So that's Yajirobe, and that's, uh, I think that's pretty much all I got. Yeah, that's all I got. Feeling limber? I mean, not really. Complain, complain, complain. Is that all you can do? Considering you left Limber dead inside a footlocker for several hours after a massive battle to the death against evil versions of myself, then gave me like an hour to relax after you finally dug me out of the earth, I'd say my complaints have been pretty limited. Well, I wouldn't. And I don't think Lord Frieza would either. Well, Frieza's who knows how many billions of miles away, out of comms range, which frankly makes doing these podcasts seem kind of pointless. Nobody can even hear them. Apparently you've never heard of recording things and not broadcasting them live? It's just... The timeline here gets confusing. Sometimes episodes are an hour after each other, sometimes weeks, sometimes a day. It's all very confusing. Oh, it's best just to not think about stuff like that. According to you, when it comes to everything except for the stuff during our Dragon Ball discussions, it's best not to think about anything. It took you this long to figure this out? (sighs) Well, listeners, we'll take our leave of you here. Will Bikini finally learn to keep his thoughts to himself? Will our timeline of episode chronology ever make any sense? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum.
Final Form is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. <laughs>